intentional i bumped the mouse there is no pause there is no i didn't mean it when it comes to live streaming so here we go today on the live stream if you'd like to catch a live stream let me remind you if you're listening to the audio best way to do that is make sure that you are on the telegram channel or one of the other social media things like twitter or something because i always put it out an hour or so before we begin Sometimes I do include a, uh, a note about the next day's live stream in the Daily Mail, but honestly, I'm usually not that far ahead to be able to do it. Uh, but you can definitely find out always what the next upcoming live stream is just by going to tspclive.com, tspclive.com. It'll tell you what's coming up and all the streams. If you're like, hey, that was yesterday. I haven't updated it yet, but it's the best way to go. Anyway, with that, somebody also asked here, well, I was getting ready to start and screwed up and started a little bit early, so I'm stalling just a little bit here. Uh, what's up? Like it said, you said you send out the thing. It says you're going to start at 12 Central, but when I get there, it says you're starting at 12:10 Central. I've talked about this before. Facebook, in their infinite wisdom, decided if you don't start your live stream within 10 minutes of when you said you were going to, to cancel it. So that gives me 20 minutes of buffer by putting it in 10, sometimes 15 minutes late. Generally speaking, we start on time, whatever it says at TSBC Live, and most days that will be 12 Central Standard Time. Sometimes it's earlier or later, adjusting for guests and things that go on in the world. With that, what do we got today? Episode 3257 of the Survival Podcast Monday, so listener feedback Q&A show for the week. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff, some really hot controversial stuff, some stuff that's just practical down to earth. That way I don't have a freaking aneurysm and bleed out in front of you on the camera because we do nothing but the high-stress stuff. We're going to be talking today about things like the end of empire. We're talking about feeding chickens. We're going to talk about some of the one of the most disgusting pieces of food propaganda I have ever seen in my life, and it comes from the people who make Oreo cookies. Yeah, uh, this is just – it's a disgrace. We're also going to talk about – what else do we got on there? Some biochar stuff, some new stuff with biochar. Uh, a question about canned beef, specifically corned beef, and can I eat it? I mean, it's from Brazil. I'll tell you my thoughts on that, and I think that sometimes people worry too much, but if I was worried about anything, it would be the processing rather than the source of the beef. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the train derailment and the fallout uh, in Palestine. I haven't said much about this because I don't know. And unlike a lot of people on the Internet and in podcasting, whatever, I don't talk about things as though I know about them when I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows how bad this is or what the mitigation is going to be or what the you know real danger area. I don't think we know. I don't think we know. But I'll tell you my gut instincts on this one. And I got a bunch more. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one, the Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, Tennessee, coming up next month. You want to know about this. There's a link in the video notes below, or they'll be in the audio notes under sponsors of the day today. Check it out, guys. I mean, Nicole Sauce and John Willis have been doing this for a while now. They've gotten really good at it. The last time I was there, man, they had somebody on site milling wood with a bandsaw mill. That alone was worth going. I don't know if they're going to have that guy again, but they have a lot of like great speakers, but it's also a great networking opportunity. Seeing John's operation alone is worth going. Meeting people's worth like there's like ten different things that are worth the cost of going alone. 
So check it out in the link below, Self-Reliance Festival, Camden, Tennessee. Next up today, the Wealthsteading Podcast with John Pugliano. I'll tell you, there's some things I love about John. I mean, I love everybody that I work with, or I wouldn't work with him, but there's some things about John that I love extensively having him as a sponsor and a member of the Expert Council. Number one, genuine. He is a genuine article. Number two, he's a prepper. This is a guy that stores food. This is a guy that's a ham radio operator, et cetera. Number three, he's really good at what he does. He is a fantastic investment manager, and he's got a great podcast where he gives away everything he knows at no cost to you. Just got to tune in and listen. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I really love about John, he's got the heart of a servant. The man is a servant at heart, and that is that is just huge. Uh, in a day and age when so many people are just out for themselves and so many of the problems that we have that we're going to talk about today – Having a guy to to rely on for monetary advice who you can also trust is a huge thing. I've been working with John since 2011. That's that's a relationship over a decade, and it's built on trust. And, again, I just love that the guy is such a servant. And if you're listening to his podcast, remember, he's on Fountain FM. And every time you send John uh, Pugliano one sat, you make him eat his words just a little bit harder and all the resistance he did to getting on Fountain, even though it took him about 30 seconds. Anyway, with that, let's start digging into this. Let's start off with um, poll results from last week. So let me pull this up for you on the screen here. And I've been doing these polls on Twitter. They've been pretty popular. People seem to be digging them. It is increasing engagement, so that's that's always a good sign. But here's the stuff that I had last week. And remember, none of these are going to be perfect. When it, if you participate in these polls and you're like, well, it could be this or that. That's kind of the point to make you think, what is the what is the most or what is most responsible or what is most important to you out of the choices that you have? You don't get – you can do all the comments you want. I like comments, also good for engagement. But, you know, play the game, man. What do you think is the biggest cause of or the most important thing about whatever we're asking? And I try to give four options most of the time. So t- this week I had, which of the following do you think is most responsible for increased obesity rates over the last 40 years? The low-fat craze got 9%. Fast food got 18%. High fructose corn syrup, 40, we call it 49%, 49.8, or 40, we call it 50%. And education, i.e. the food pyramid, 23%. I actually disagree with the audience here. As bad as the high fructose corn syrup is, why do people consume it with no concern whatsoever? I personally think it is the education, the food pyramid. Somebody in the comments brought up, like, how many times when you sat down to plan a meal in your life did you think about the food pyramid? And the answer is almost never. But the, what, the, what is the key thing that people take away from the food pyramid? All the propaganda that goes into the young mind in school. A diet based on grains, cereals, bread, fruits, and vegetables. No matter how little a person knows about the pyramid, they probably know that. It was drummed into your head, and I think that put us off on the wrong foot right from the get-go. Next up, if you could eliminate one government agency fully and completely, but it had to be one of these four, which one would you eliminate? This department would never be restored, and the states would individually see respective needs as they saw fit. I also in this one gave the the budget of each of these, and, and they're all huge, some bigger than others. But Department of Ag got 19% of the vote. Department of Education got 68% of the vote. Department of Commerce got 3% of the vote. And the Office of Personnel Management got 9.8% of the vote. 
I kind of agree with the community here. I think that the one that would make the biggest difference in our daily lives would be Department of Education because they have so much of their tentacles into the local school making decisions. But there's a lot of stupidity at the local level, too. In fact, more of it's from the local level of decision making than from the federal. But I, I do agree with this one. The interesting thing here was I think when I added these up, it was something like $800 billion for these four departments of government. That's what we pay every year for these people screwing things up. The interest on the national debt now exceeds the cost of these four giant departments of government. I also got a lot of questions. Well, what the hell is an office of personnel management? That's the, the, the largest collection of Karens and human resources on the planet. It's HR for the entire federal government, and it costs us, I believe, $300 billion a year. Yay us. Um, so, yeah, I think that there was a temptation here because the Department of Ag and the Depart uh, Office of Personnel Management both cost more than the other two, significantly so. So if you get rid of somebody with the biggest cost, it's the biggest savings. But would it matter? And I think astutely people figured out the one that most disrupts our lives on a daily basis, Department of Education. So I agree with that one. This was just a fun one on guns. You're given a choice. You get a free gun. There's a catch, though. Um, it has to be in one of these four underrated and somewhat forgotten rounds. The gun will be an unknown model, but a bolt action. Probably wouldn't be the case in 307 Winchester, but I wanted to level the playing field. So it was 22 Hornet, 30% of the vote. 257 Roberts, 7.8% of the vote. 307 Winchester, 34.6% of the vote. 6.5 by 55 millimeter Swedish, 27% of the vote. That's actually, except for the 257 Roberts, that I think a lot of people are not familiar with the 257 Bob, uh, fairly even distribution. I was trying to use this, I'll confess, as an excuse to buy a 22 Hornet. I have not yet purchased one. I own the other three. Hence, I would have to side with the Hornet. And if it won, I was going to use that as some BS justification to go spend the money. All right. Next up, we stayed with guns. What do you consider a long shot on big game on an animal like a deer? 100 yards or more, 21.8%. 200 yards plus, 43%. 300 yards plus, 28.9%. I'm full of poop. 500 plus yards. That's what's long for me. 62 I actually completely agree with the majority on this one. I think when you hit kind of the 200-ish yard range, you've moved into the area of a long shot. It's not a shot I have difficulty making. However, most hunters zero their rifle at 100 yards. We practice at 100 yards. Uh, we shoot consistently at a rate around 100 yards if we have the room to do it with our ranges. And so we're pretty well dialed in on that. When you get out toward 200, that could be 175, 225, whatever, it's where you start to get into a point where small mistakes actually re result in much larger errors than the closer shots. There were a lot of people from the comments that answered this one differently. What is a long shot not for them from a skill set, but for where they live? And I agreed with everything they said. Someone said that, you know, in, in the, the bush country of Pennsylvania, 25 feet is a long shot. And I, it might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. The shortest distance that I ever shot a deer at was with a bow, not a rifle. And it was, well, it was zero yards unless you count down. I shot straight down out of my tree stand uh, between the shoulder blades and broke this uh, small buck's uh, uh, backbone and dropped it where it stood. So zero yards, or is it the 20 feet I was in the tree? I don't know. But uh, 
I think 200 yards is for where I was coming from. I guess I wasn't clear with it, where the skill requires the extra touch because now we're really moving out to where errors are exaggerated. So a small pull on the trigger, a little bit not perfect, maybe didn't mean much to 75 yards, but 175 it starts to really matter. Uh, if there was a way to allow states to vote and choose to lead the union peacefully, would you support it? I did this one before our podcast with CJ, and I did it before the whole Marjorie Taylor Green thing last week. It was just, hey, it was on my mind, and apparently it was on a lot of people's mind. 84% said yes, 15.9% said no. So 16% of people are basically saying they are not for the right of individuals to have self-determination. That's how I take it. Uh, I will tell you guys, while I was reading that, I was not paying attention to the chat feed at all. So if you have any questions, comments, things like that that you want me to address uh, somewhere today, uh, I would need you to put it in all caps. Thomas says starting and stopping uh, bad video. You're the only one telling me that, Thomas, so it might be you. I don't know if I'm having bad video with others. Let us know. If the audio is good, at least for now, hey, I'll take it because that's the most important part of a podcast is the audio. Uh, moving on, I hope you guys enjoy those polls. If you want to, um, if you want to be part of it, all you got to do is come by uh, my Twitter account. I'm at, I am the Survival Pod C. Follow me on Twitter, and uh, you should see it. And if you don't really go to Twitter much, I do tend to put the daily polls in the daily email most, not all the time. I also tend to put them on Telegram as well. I'm going to use Twitter for this because it is the best place to do this one thing. And I don't want polls spread out across like three platforms and then having to try to consolidate them and what have you. So Twitter, it shall be for these. And if you want to participate, you got to use Twitter to do it. Anyway, I think it's great to kind of take the temperature of the audience and where, where their mind is on some things. And I am looking for ideas for polls. You can tell me on Twitter. Uh, I ask occasionally or just email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. TSPC polls in the subject line and tell me your idea for a poll you think that I should run next. All right. Next up, I want to talk a little bit about biochar and uh, some feedback I got from Roy. Some of you guys know Roy. You know him as Colonel Roy because he is a uh, a former lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. And uh, he sent me an email saying that he went to a biochar workshop. He was really excited about it up in West Virginia where he's from, and uh, he went and listened to a lecture given by a Ph.D. Uh, professor or, or what have you on biochar, and it had a lot lacking. There was no discussion whatsoever of inoculation of the biochar. Uh, it was talked about just basically as an inert substance, and I think there's a lot of this. I know when I did my seminar on it, I guess it was, even though we called it a podcast. I said that there's a lot of research that I believe has been intentionally flawed. I actually think that right now we are past that stage mostly. And I don't think this was necessarily nefarious, just more incompetence. Um, you, you can get to a point where people have accepted that the thing's a good thing. Something's hot. We need to talk about it. And nobody really knows anything about it. So you pick a guy that's in the right department in a university and say, hey, put some shit together on Biochar. He does the best that he could. Now, leaving the inoculation out, though, I would have to say, you know, maybe this guy was told he was doing this like a day before. Because if you spent 
if you spent two or three hours learning what you could about biochar, it's pretty well known that if you don't inoculate it, you're going to take up nutrient, mineral, and biology from the soil, and it's going to take a while before it pays back. So that's, that's kind of, you know, unfortunate that this person had an opportunity um, and really did not use it well. The good news is Roy said that he met several people uh, at this event and turned them on to uh, my seminar so that they can learn to actually how to use, to make, and to integrate biochar into what they're doing. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is with biochar is over the last week, several uh, folks have sent me some new things that have been added to the biochar resources page. That's the survivalpodcast.com forward slash biochar. This one, I just want to make sure I'm muted, and I am. I want to play this in the background for you, those of you that are uh, in the live feed. You'll notice that there's something in this dude's stove. It'll switch back here in a second. And this is one of the coolest things I've seen. So he has, a, and a lot of people are doing this now. He has a plain old wood stove, just a general wood stove. He builds a normal fire in the wood stove. And what that is inside uh, of the stove there, you can see it almost looks like a box. They're, um, they're like restaurant trays or busing trays or something like that. I can't, they're made out of stainless steel. There's a good view of it there. Um, what, what they do is they fill that with something like wood chips and I'm trying to see, cause like now I, all of a sudden I can't remember what they're called. No, he doesn't have hotel, hotel trays is what they're called, right? So you can see one right there. And what he does, and a lot of people are doing this, mind you, is they take material that they want to make biochar out of. It could be wood chips, it could be nut husks, it could be twigs, anything you want to make biochar, as long as it's cut small enough to fit in that tray. They fill the tray with it, they put the lid on the on top of the tray, and then they put the tray into the wood stove, leaving enough room so there's fire around the wood stove. What happens is the, it, it acts as a retort, and the heat begins to heat up the material inside the hotel tray. It starts to off-gas, and as it off-gases, the gas burns inside the wood stove, but then there's not enough oxygen. You end up with about a two-hour cycle per tray in your wood stove. Every two hours, you're pulling a tray out and adding a new tray. What's awesome about this is that gas is producing heat that you need anyway. It's, it's reducing the amount of cordwood that you have to use in your wood stove. It's optional. Like if you run out of material, you go back just to your cordwood and don't do it. But you're getting beautiful biochar every cycle. And one of the pieces of material that's really easy for a lot of people to get their hands on is wood chips, which do not work as well in many other systems. So I thought this one was awesome. And I have another one that you can uh, check out that I just added. Remember when I said I did not know of kind of a backyard engineering level uh, kiln for making biochar that also harvests the wood vinegar. This one is it's by, by Echo Community, an innovative do-all biochar burner design. I'm not going to go deep into it. Just suffice to say, it makes both wood vinegar and biochar, and it is something that requires some fabrication, but it's a fabrication level that a lot of you guys could do, or you could go to a local machine shop with this material with you and get one built. And I think that's really cool. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think everybody needs to be making wood vinegar, but it's good that we can. 
and do that at the farmstead homestead level kind of on the uh on that level and so i want you guys to keep sending me stuff i have actually added quite a bit more this last week to the biochar resources page uh those were just two that were easy to add in and tell you about in the podcast so now we've got a way every single one of you that has a wood stove you're already using without any modification you pick up these hotel trays they're about 20 ish bucks a piece you throw material in them and you get more efficiency out of your stove and you get biochar. And since you're using small material, it's going to crumble well. And in those of you that have fabrication capabilities, you can look at building that better still and maybe even modifying it further. The person that sent me that one said, hey, you know, the the re- the, the uh, I can't remember what it's called now. Let me let me look at my own page. Hookway, I think is what it's called. The hookway retort uh, that uses kind of the rocket stove in the center of the retort model that you could probably take these plans and those plans and merge them and create something that makes wood vinegar that makes biochar that can somehow be inside something like a greenhouse and be used safely to, to actually capture the radiant heat as well. So I don't know about that. I'm not a big time fabricator type guy, but it might be worth somebody out there with some innovation and some tools and materials taking a look at and see if we can go further with it. Um, next up, I had somebody ask me a question about Hormel corned beef and said, hey, I listen to you. I listen to a lot of other people. I listen to Texas Slim. Slim says Brazilian beef is sub-quality beef. I'm buying this corned beef from Hormel because it stores for like ever in a day. Um, do you think it's, it's not healthy to be eating this beef because it's Brazilian beef? Well, Here's the thing about this. I don't think Brazilian beef is bad quality beef at all. Now, I can tell you, though, that if you're getting Hormel corned beef, my estimate is that you're getting Brazilian's version of CAFO beef. So that's something you have to answer for yourself. Number two, it contains sugar. I didn't really look at how much. But when I looked at it, it doesn't have like a whole list. I thought... You know, surely it's going to have a whole bunch of processed crap in it. And it was like salt, sodium nitrate, uh, sugar, and beef. Now, they might be playing fast and loose with the word beef. Like, I don't know what the overall quality of it is. But I will say this for a lot of folks that ask me about, you know, beef that comes into the country from outside the country. I wish that we didn't have the racket that we do in this country with processing facilities. I wish the government didn't make it so hard for people to set up, start, and run processing facilities. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that we didn't actually export more of our beef than we consume domestically and then import beef. I think that's retarded. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. I think for the, and the people behind all of this, my feet is currently being paired by the CME that is hitting our little planet. It might be. I'm not sure. Anyway, I, I think that um, that this sucks, just to be blunt. But it is what it is. And I think in the end, a cow is a cow, and the quality of beef, as long as you're not being lied to. Like If it said grass-fed and finished, then I expect that it would be, and it may there may be a lie. But there's no guarantee that's not the case any other source unless you can go look at the cow, which is the best if you can, right? But in the end, 
the quality of beef you can determine by the quality of the beef when you eat it. And so I'm not that worried that a piece of beef might come from New Zealand or Australia, for instance, when some people really are. And then they turn around and brag about New Zealand lamb. We grow great lamb in the United States, too. I think this is why what, what Slim is doing is really important. And all we can do to know our own rancher better is great. And if you have that option, then you have that option. But when we let perfect become the enemy of the good, we run into real trouble. And so that's something that I want to make sure that we don't do to ourselves. Uh, and I, I don't know if we're still having trouble with the feed. It doesn't look like it's that bad because the numbers keep going up. And I only see a little mention here and there about some glitchiness. So we'll do what we can. That might hurt us here in a bit because I'm going to play a video for you. And if it does, I'll just tell you what it says, and I'll edit the audio in for the uh, the audio-only version later, if that's the case. Moving on, um, that's going to happen right now. I've got to – well, let me see. I thought I pushed that in the in the schedule lineup here. No such pace. Great. Oh, you lo- I got logged me out. Great. Okay. Give me a second. This is the one negative when it comes to doing live podcasting. Uh, yeah, here's the next one, actually. Chicken feed. So I recently posted something on Twitter when somebody was talking about how they eat four eggs a day to keep the estrogen away. Um, Audio's found videos a little laggy. Okay, it is what it is. Um, let me see. I can probably change real quick here. I'm going to drop the camera resolution to 480. You guys let me know if that helps. Um, anyway, I was, I, I, I saw this person and they posted, I eat four eggs every day and that way I don't end up with high estrogen as a man. And I know there's a lot of guys out there, especially bodybuilders and, and, and keto bros and, 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 and both ways. All right. So, this person posted a thing about eggs and said, Hey, I eat these eggs. And that way um, I keep my estrogen level levels, you know, where they belong as a man or whatever. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I know a lot of you guys like eggs and I think eggs are a fantastic human food. But if you're worried about estrogen levels, then you really need to think about what the chicken you're eating is eating. And here's why. And I've talked about this before. Most chicken feed, including organic, all natural, blah, 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 has its protein content boosted from the inclusion of soy. Soy is full of isoflavins. Isoflavins are phytoestrogens. Phytoestrogen means a free estrogen, but really what it means is it's estrogen. So when you take an animal that ovulates and drops an egg and is a female and you feed it lots of estrogen, Guess what? The the egg that it drops is literally full of estrogens now, phytoestrogens, also known as isoflavins. Yes, because those sound sexy and those sound wonderful and those sound healthy. Isoflavins, rich with isoflavins. It's just phytoestrogen. You can go buy it by the bottle on, on, on Amazon. No one's hiding this. This isn't a conspiracy. There's multiple studies that have been done. And the, the, the egg industry is very proud of the fact that there's lots of isoflavins in their eggs. And if you want estrogens in your egg, then it's fine for you. And if you don't, then you should think about this. 
Now, I've been asked a couple things. One, if the bird's free range, is this mitigated? It is as mitigated as it can be based on the fact that a bird that free ranges will eat less feed than one that doesn't, but you're still creating an estrogen bomb, in my opinion. But somebody emailed me and said, well, how important is this? And I think this is a personal decision. Plenty of people eat eggs, and they have no sensitivity to the isoflavins at all, and they have no problems at all. And here's here's my thing. If you could eat an egg out of the mass production industry, or you can eat a backyard egg that's fed, I don't know, probably the worst would be like producer's pride. Um, I would take the one eating the producer's pride that's being free-ranged over the one that's commercially raised. Every single time. Every single time. I personally drive 90 miles once a quarter to buy, you know, a quarter's worth um, of uh, feed at a shot from a custom mill. And it's like really more like semi-custom. Like they make this for other people. You just have to let them know you're coming to make sure they have enough in stock for you. And, uh, you know, I buy 25 bags at a shot and that lasts us about four months, um, three and a half to four months. So it's not quite once a quarter, we buy about three times a year ish. And that's about as much as I want to store at one time because it can go stale. You can get bugs in it and shit like that. So that's what we do. I do that as a personal decision. And I do that to take care of my customers, okay? Um, my customers that we built over time, as we went to a non-soy feed, we found many customers who said, I can't eat anybody else's eggs. I thought it was I had a thing with chicken eggs, so I tried duck eggs from you, and I can eat those, and I have no problems with them at all. And when I couldn't get eggs from you, we went and got eggs from somebody else that raises ducks, and when I ate their eggs, they made me sick. They gave me reactions, whatever. So I, I, I seem to I, – I personally believe that that means that even if you're not having a reaction to it that you can tell, that it may not be the best thing for a human being to be ingesting something loaded with phytoestrogens. I personally feel that way. But it's your choice. Some people would say to me um, – but you have access to this feed. And the reality is 90 miles away isn't the best access to it. If you check around, you may be able to find it. But here's what you want. Here's what you want to talk to, like your feed mills about, if you've got somebody around you that actually does the blending or the mixing and the grinding. What you're looking for, and there may be another option here, but what I have found that's affordable and high quality is instead of corn, it's based on sorghum. Instead of uh, soy, it's based on peanut meal. That boosts your protein using the peanut legume versus the soy legume. And peanuts do not have this issue. And it also makes, in my opinion, a much higher quality egg. And I think this would be, and I know it's the case with chicken and quail. I've produced chicken and quail with it as well. Now, I will say there are people that do have sensitivity to chicken eggs. It's not always this. Because we also have had people that we've given chicken eggs to a couple to try, and they had a reaction, some sort of allergy or something to chicken eggs and not ducks. But most of our customers, and we've been doing this for like almost 10 years, most of our customers have isolated it down now and determined, because some of our customers eventually get their own birds, they rely on us to tell them where to get feed and what have you, uh, that, yes, they've isolated it down to 
it's it's poultry fed soy that causes some of the most problems. And I think that we need to think about this a little bit when we're making personal decisions. Like I said, if you don't have any reaction at all, no inflammation, no problems, no digestive distress, no other issues, great. But we always think in our minds, in our society today, in a binary format, on, off, one and zero, right? And so we think that if if something's affecting my health, that I will really notice it. But this is more like a dimmer switch. So how much inflation... I'm sorry, inflammation might be in your body due to certain things. And it's a little bit from this and a little bit from that and a little bit from something else. And maybe your overall health, you could tell something's not right. But when you shut one of those off, it's not enough to matter. And I think it might be um, that might be more of the issue. That might be more of the issue uh, in many ways. Okay, moving on here, because everything's screwed up now, thanks to that reload I did over there. Uh, I also had someone send me a link, and I have a a link in the show notes so you can check it out yourself. And the thing is, the question doesn't match the video. And I just want to point that out so if you come check the video out later. The video is pretty interesting. It is uh, some folks on a farm. It seems like it's England, and they're raising black soldier flies, and they're doing it in a great big uh, container, like a shipping container. And it was like a pretty cool, innovative operation, but they just show the black soldier flies and talk about them. They don't explain the tech that they're using to raise them. It looks pretty innovative. And, okay, that's great. But what the person asked me who sent me the video, if you raise a chicken fed on corn and one insect, will it have the same quality as a chicken that's free-ranged? Not concerned about the ethics and containing the animal, but just the nutritional quality. So... I'm not sure why he's asking that question. I'm going to assume when he says corn, he means chicken feed. So chicken feed plus the addition of one insect, captive environment. Will that chicken produce the quality that a free-range chicken will produce? Well, where's the free-range chicken free-ranging? How is that being managed? Who's raising that that bird? Uh, What are they feeding versus what is this confinement operation feeding? So we just had this whole discussion about uh, feed quality. If the captive operation was using a feed like mine, plus black soldier flies, and then what does captive mean? Let's say it's coop and run. You might end up with a really high quality product. If somebody's free ranging on really crappy land and feeding, you know, producers pride or something like that, then the confined bird might produce a better product. However, I feel if everything else is equal, same feed, right, same adjuncts and additives. You know, I've started feeding my birds since I got into biochar, biochar in their meal every day. They get a cup of biochar. Um, But if everything was equalized and one group of birds are confined in some way and the other group of birds are able to free range, I think that the free range will give you a better quality product because they're going to have greater diversity. They're going to have greater joy as a bird. And I think that has an impact on the quality of production. And like Hunter is saying right here, cage versus concrete. Yeah. Are these birds in a, in a concrete system? Are they in a little bitty cage? Or do you have 12 chickens or a six chickens in a nice coop with a nice run or a nice dual run because you're in the suburbs and that's the only way you can do it? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
But then I don't actually look at that bird as a confinement bird. I look at it as a coop and run bird. It's somewhere between free range or paddock shift and the commercial confinement. And so then the other thing is, what is the, what is the insect eating? So in this case, black soldier fly is one of the highest quality feedstocks you can give to livestock, in my opinion. Um, So it's great. And it'll, black soldier flies will eat anything. But what's the waste stream the black soldier flies tying into? Because that's going to have a nutritional impact on the value of the black soldier fly as well. Um, is there any mineral deficiencies in, in the system? A bird that can get out is going to free range minerals on its own. They're going to pick different grits and things that are give them what they need. But if you are free choice feeding mineral, like, see, all of this plays in each other. And I think the important thing to take away from this is that we can do some level of confinement with livestock and not necessarily be wrong or produce a bad quality product. And and again, not letting perfect be the enemy of the good. If you live in Karenville, right, and you let your chickens free range and they go over the fence and then Karen's going to call the cops and the city enforcement code guy is going to come and make your life sad and all that. And so because of that, and because that's like, as a puritist, you want to be able to do that. And so you don't have your little small flock of four or six hens that you could have with a coop and run. I think that's a mistake. So yes, I'm saying, Jeff, it depends. Jeff asked me, it always depends. And I'm just trying to give you what it depends on, in my opinion, in this situation. Um, Next up, I want to talk a little bit about Palestine, Ohio, and I want to do something that probably no other podcaster is honestly doing right now. I want to be honest with you. So I was asked a bunch of times in the last week, how bad is this? What can we do about this? How big is the real impact area? If we line all the, the streams with biochar, could we get rid of some of the toxins? Just dozens and dozens of variations of questions. You want my honest answer is I don't know. I don't know how bad it is. I don't know how long it's going to persist. I don't know how far it's going to spread. I I believe, however, that the preponderance of people talking about it on both sides are full of shit. I think that the mainstream media establishment government, it's not a big deal. It's a horrible thing that happened. There may be some localized problems, but it's all good now. The water is safe to drink now, right? It's okay. You can go back to your house. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And this is a local disaster that won't have any fallout. Bullshit. I don't believe that. I told you I don't know, but I don't believe that. Now, there's the other side. This is the greatest natural disaster since Chernobyl. Nobody is safe. Everybody's going to die. The Gulf of Mexico is going to turn into a cauldron of lava, you know, like, this is worse than Chernobyl. Like, again, one of the things I said when this first happened is you can't keep talking about water in the creek and saying that the government's saying that water's safe to drink because they're saying the water that comes out of the tap is safe to drink. And if you test the water in the creek, that doesn't tell you what the tap water is. And it doesn't mean the tap water's safe. And it doesn't mean there's not a problem. But whatever it is, I guarantee you, Even if the water out of the tap is really bad, it's better than the water out of the creek. And this is just another example of alternative media shrieking alarmism and mainstream media carrying water for the Democrat Party 
who doesn't want to take responsibility for this and is still blaming Donald Trump for it, even though they've had control of everything for two years. And let me be clear. They're specifically blaming Trump. They're not blaming legislative action under Trump. They're blaming executive orders that Trump put out. And they're lies. They're lies. Um, there, I don't remember what the one thing that Trump removed, and they blamed it for this, when the truth is that the, the people running this train were given three warnings of overheated bearings, ignored the warnings, and it was those overheated bearings that caused the derailment. Trump had nothing to do with this. Trump did not touch this. Even if he had, if it was by executive fiat, then Brandon could have done an executive fiat to reverse it. He had no problem reversing everything else he objected to. So this is all, again, everybody playing grab ass, passing the buck, passing the, the blame. We don't know. And I don't know that anybody is even interested in doing the real work to determine it. You would have to test the water in these creeks around the area and the water downstream. You have to ask, well, what's going to be the impact of the first major storm event that washes all this shit through? What level of dilution is required? And my understanding is water is severely contaminated with vinyl chloride at one million parts per billion. That's fairly high, honestly. I mean, that's that, 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 it's quite a bit, a million parts per billion. Uh, that's what I read today. Now, can you trust that? Well, I don't know. It comes from the government that says it's safe. So I don't know. But this is not in response to this. This is prior information to what was generally considered. If you can smell it, it's considered way too high. Well, the residents of the town say that they can smell it. But is it vinyl chloride? Again, we don't even know if that's the biggest problem we have. When this happened, the government said, well, you know, vinyl chloride's bad shit, and we burned it off, and we had to. We had no choice. But it turned out there was like seven other hazmat chemicals involved in the in this total wreck of all the cars that wrecked. We don't know, and we should stop pretending that we do know. We should stop pretending that we do know. Here, here's my level of concern. If, so, if somebody lives in or around Palestine, Ohio, and didn't get all the way out and isn't still all the way out, I am extremely concerned for their health. Downstream in the watershed, I'm also concerned for your health. And the further you go, the less concerned I am. Because dilution is the solution for the of the solution, right? Um, there is a point you take anything down to a small enough parts per billion that it doesn't really, it's not really worth worrying about anymore. But I'm not saying there's nothing to worry about because we don't know. The EPA specialists that were supposed to test got killed in an accidental plane crash. I heard something about that. I'm not sure that that's the case. I don't really know. And what you would think that they'd have more than one specialist to come in and do that. Um, it's it, it's the case we don't know. And all I can say to you is if you live close to this, all I can say is really be careful with the decisions you make. And this is one of those situations where people say, well, why don't they leave? Why don't they leave? This is not exactly a wealthy area. It might have gotten a lot more attention if it was. Right. This is not 90210 zip code here. This is an area of, uh, of the of the country with some fairly uh, low income, everyday working people that happen to have the sin of voting Republican. 
um, as far as the establishment's concerned. And I don't know if we'll ever get an actual answer to this. But we will be able, sadly, to determine the real aftermath based on the fallout as it comes. And what I mean by that is this stuff, the, the vinyl chloride itself is incredibly carcinogenic. It also is heavily known to cause, with high rates of exposure, significant declines in immunity and birth defects as well. So if it is as bad as it looks, the, the health of the population in and around Palestine uh, is going to tell the story long term. And it won't be something that will be deniable, even though it will be denied. And so that's all I have for you right now. And I know some people want more than that from me. But I can't tell you what I don't know, and I won't lie to you and pretend to know what I don't know. So let's let's move on. Um, more from your government about lies. The government just claimed victory. The Democratic government just claimed victory over hatred. This is a really interesting, um, a really interesting uh, way to do things. Uh, Shifty Schiff, Adam Schiff was involved with this too. So they, the, the Democrats apparently it was either Thursday or Friday. They created this idea of a national day of hate. And they said the right was, was espousing this idea, this anti-Jewish day of hate. And there would be national demonstrations on Saturday. That was this Saturday, by the way, the day of hate, you know. And of course it would be done on Saturday because that's the Jewish Sabbath, the day of hate. The right-wing Nazi extremist, day of hate! And Adam Schiff tweeted, we cannot let this happen. He didn't even say what it was. I had to figure out what the hell this clown was talking about. You know, what happened? And it was Sunday before I heard about it. It was already over. It never happened. So here's what they did. And if you go check through some of the liberal nut job blue checks on Twitter, they this was very calculated, and I don't know that it will matter, but it was so ridiculous. They, if they fabricated a threat that didn't exist, I guess the FBI didn't get it, didn't get the memo early enough that they could go out and fake it, so they didn't have time to round the Proud Boys up and uh, uh, do that or whatever. Um, not the Proud Boys. Who are the other ones? The ones that always march with the masks on and the khaki pants. Those guys. They didn't have time to get because those are those are, those guys are feds, dude. They're feds. They didn't have time to do anything because they didn't get the memo early enough that the Democrats had fabricated this thing. So all of the freaking liberal nuts went out and tweeted, we have to prevent this. We have to stop this. Then a day later, they said, it, nothing came of it because of our vigilance and shining light onto the hatred at work. So they created a non-event. The non-event didn't occur. They claimed that they stopped the non-event by virtue signaling against the non-event. Just another example, guys. This is because we're turning a corner in the show here today. We're turning a corner where we're going to talk more and more about the the problems we have in society today. And what I want to show you right now is a video that's, again, another one of those things that, uh, that I've told you would happen. And I hope that the video will play. You guys can let me know once I... Uh, start playing this here and you won't hear him yet because I have him muted and I don't know why this page constantly tries to start this video before I'm ready for it to start. But let me get the audio working here. We are returning to conversations about possibly closing schools due to declining enrollment. This time around, they'll have a different process for decision making and participation for school communities. 
Nine News reporter Jennifer Meckles has been following this process all year. They knew the problem wasn't going away, Jenny. They knew that they were eventually going to have to do something. Right. So it really shouldn't come as a big surprise for a lot of these families. Uh, we have a list, a new list of 15 schools that they are now talking about. I want to be very clear. None of these schools are recommended for closure today. At tonight's school board meeting, we learned, though, just how bad some of the numbers are at some of these schools. All 15, by the way, were part of previous closure discussions, 14 of them actually, then plus one new one. Everybody has less than 250 students, and three are as bad as it gets, fewer than 120 students. And now that we are in school choice season, barely any kids have enrolled as new students for next year. Denver Discovery School, Math and Science Leadership Academy, and Fairview Elementary all have fewer than 10 kids signed up for their entry-level classes next year, like coming into sixth grade or coming into kindergarten, which is even less than projected. Clearly, we cannot function with those numbers. So what we will do is engage immediately with those communities to come up with solutions, and solutions can be um, another unification effort, meaning that would be my recommendation, or it can be something more creative, no kindergarten, no sixth grade, and that would be a slower way of uh, the school ultimately closing. And that has not been decided. I want to make sure that that's clear. Uh, but those are the schools that we will immediately engage in. And that is the new part of the process. Last fall, the school board voted down the superintendent's recommended closures, claiming that his team did not engage with the community enough. So now Superintendent Marrero says it's time to sit and brainstorm with these families at those three smallest schools first. And the board members seem pretty receptive tonight, much more so than they did in the fall. We are at a crossroads with these three schools, and um, I think I'm in a much different position um, than I was a few months ago with these three. Um, I, I would love to have longer conversations on the others, but I, I don't see where we can turn around and um, I think that there's a, a tough decision we have to make, and I think that we need to make it sooner um, instead of dragging on uncertainty for this for these three communities. Closing schools is not a popular move for anybody. The district was really careful, again, to say that nobody's on a closure list today, but truthfully, there's not a good solution here. Other districts, Kyle, are going through the same process. Sure. And I can imagine somebody in the... All right. This is, this is what I'm talking about here. When I, when I talk about the... The lack of reality when it comes to government as a whole. Let's not even beat on government schools or anything uh, up front. Let's look at it this way. You have government providing a service. The service is being rejected and the service is failing. Instead of saying, you know what? When that happens, you consolidate. They call it unification. That means close the school and put people into the same school and, and consolidate. That's what that means. But people are unhappy about it. Well, it's amazing that you're so worried about the people that are unhappy about the school being closed. But you haven't been worried about all of us who have been telling you we don't like the way you're educating our children and stealing our money to do it for the last 50 years. Now this is a crisis. Whenever you have to close any government facility or agency, it's a moral crisis. It's a systemic crisis, right? It's an environmental crisis. It's a racist crisis. It's all bullshit. If this was anything else, if this was a supermarket chain and they said, hey, we have nine locations and these two get almost no business, there'd be no discussion. They would close those two locations. They put a sign on the door and say, you got to go to one of the other locations now. 
And then people will say, well, you shouldn't have, as a parent, I shouldn't have to. What are you talking about? As a parent, you shouldn't have to? What do you mean you shouldn't have to? The, the society is obligated to you to provide you exactly what you want because you've been told that public education is a right and you were dumb enough to believe it. But this is just beginning. You hear they said other districts are having this problem, too. Oh, and they're going to keep having this problem. And some of you three years ago when all the COVID crap started and I wrote an article saying that this was going to happen. You don't know, Jack. They'll never close schools. Yeah, well, here you go. And this is like what? The third example that I've brought to you in the past four weeks. And I'm not even looking for this, guys. People are sending me this, and I'm deleting half of what's being, more than half of what's being sent, because I don't want to talk about the same thing every day and be beating a dying horse instead of beating a dead horse here. Yes, the school system is collapsing onto itself. It really is. And where it's going to get hit the worst is going to be where I live, urban, rural, fringe. It's going to be the suburbs, but not the, not the expensive suburbs. And it's not going to be the highly urbanized areas, just outside of the big cities. This is where parents more and more are making the decision. But it's going to hit the urban schools heavily, too, as people leave. And those suburban, like, they'll go last, but they're starting to feel it, too, because you can have only so many people leave. The thing is that their districts are so huge that if they lose, you know, 5%, they can still justify keeping all their schools open, their 6, 8, 10, whatever grade schools that they have. You hear what they're saying there? We might take these schools and tell the parents that have kindergarten age kids, you got to go to a different school. And the sixth grade kids, you got to go to a different school. But everybody else can stay there until we actually just accept reality and close the school. As this happens more and more and more and more, see, this is a double edged sword for them. So they have to close the school. Well, then you got these parents that have, you know, a couple hundred kids at the school. Some of them are going to actually go through the extra effort to get their kids to the school that's further away. Some are going to go, I don't want my kid on a school bus as it is. I don't want them on it for an extra half hour a day each way. And so this will create more homeschoolers, which will cause more homeschool, more school closings. And we're going to continue to have this mass exodus from these large cities, which will create more school closures. And this is not going to stop. And there's going to come a point. Most of my property taxes go there, says Robert. There's going to come a point of a taxpayer revolt. When the average person knows, let's say, of all your friends that are, are have kids, when somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 25% of your neighbors and your friends that have kids are homeschooling, you're going to start asking, why are we still paying this much for, for, for school taxes? Right now, Governor Abbott is trying to use the state surplus to buy down the vast majority of property taxes at the state level on education. You would still have the uh, local taxes, but the overriding school property tax, which is our highest property tax here, would go to almost nothing with this buy down. I, I see that as a preemptive move with a reality that, you know, Texas being one of the easiest states in the union to homeschool your kids, we have one of the highest homeschool participation rates. And where it's really hurting, and, and there's, there's, there's two sides to this. There's homeschool, but there's also declining birth rates and choice by people to have less and less children or wait later and later in life to have children. And then this cascades. So 
you have one, you know, you, even if you don't pull the kids out, you have the next group being enrolled. That's what's killing them is enrollments. And they've known this was coming and they've been saying this was coming and it's going to hit the universities even harder, even harder because universities are optional, not required. No matter how much they program the little brain to think otherwise. So you have to go. You want a job at Starbucks, you need a degree, right? Uh, I mean, most of those people at Starbucks seem to have them or are working on them. Yeah. But you don't really need it, do you? You really don't. So they're, College academia has been shitting their pants for seven years, watching the enrollments go and knowing that means each year you're downsizing, downsizing, downsizing your total student body and hence your revenue. And the offset up till now is to keep raising tuition because the kids can just borrow more money. It's all imploding. It's all imploding. I'm not saying five years from now there won't be any government school, public school, whatever you want to call it. I'm saying that this kind of story will go from being fringe news to mainstream news, to meh. Another school closed? That's what happens. We're we're watching our society begin to deteriorate in front of us. I'm all for getting rid of government control of education. But we built our society on it, and except for those actively homeschooling our kids or grandkids in my case, we don't exactly have a plan for what to do about this and the collateral damage. What, do you know how many freaking people are employed in uh, K-12 education just as teachers? It's, it's something like 2.1 million. But the school system itself employs K-12, something like almost 5 million people. That's bus drivers, librarians, administrators, Karens and HR, all of it. Like if you take off half of that employment requirement, that's a significant hit. And in a lot of places, education's the number one employer. Then, then cascade that through the university system, which actually employs more people and is a larger segment of the economic GDP. So we don't have a plan for dealing with any of this right now as a country. And that's something that we need to be in touch with. Um, I've got another thing for you now. Hopefully the video will play good again. This again, what I'm showing you is the decline of the American empire and the decline of our situation as citizens of this country. This is without a doubt the worst propaganda in regards to telling people what is okay food to eat that I've ever seen. I would also call it extensively racist in the way that it's done. And it is made by the people that make That's who paid for it. It was released by the largest school district in the United States to Instagram saying there are no bad foods. Dieting is based on oppression and to eat without guilt. I give you the worst food propaganda in 90 seconds I have ever seen in my life. Oh, no audio. Hold on. We'll start over. Are they moldy? I mean, are they poisons? Are you allergic? No, I'm just saying. Mm. You're judging my food choices based on a false standard of health again, aren't you? Guilty. Diet culture, fat phobia, and systems of oppression have created false hierarchies of food, and it shows up everywhere. For instance, harmful thought patterns like earning food through exercising, or that dessert is the reward for the punishment of eating vegetables. 
Remember that you do not need to earn food. We are all incorrectly taught from a young age that our size and therefore the foods that we eat are markers of our self-worth. Moralizing food can lead to harmful relationships with food and disordered eating. Instead of focusing on good and bad choices, try to approach food with neutrality in mind. The only foods that are bad for you are foods that contain allergens, poisons, and contaminants. Or food that is spoiled or is otherwise inedible. Eat without guilt, regardless of what society says. Yeah, eat without guilt, regardless of what society says. To tell someone that eating a certain food is bad for their health is based on oppression and white supremacy is the overriding message here. This is uh, this is sick. Jay says it was way too quiet and had an echo. That's the only complaint I got, so I'm thinking it went off fairly well. Um, but if, if you if you are on the audio, you want to look this. I have a link to where you can watch that video. You want to look this up and and. Half of the speakers are not just obese, they're morbidly, morbidly obese. They're people that will end up dead younger than they have to be because they're, I mean, they are ridiculously obese. And in the beginning, what they're talking about is donuts, and it's this huge pile of, like, sugar-coated donuts. Just eat all you want. You don't have to eat your, your, your you know, your, remember your mom used to tell you, you know, eat your, your vegetables and your meat before you have dessert? Do you know the reason your mom, you know, the reason your mom told you that or your grandma told you that when you were a kid? It wasn't so that you would earn dessert. It was because your your parents and your grandparents just a generation ago knew that it was bad to eat too much sugar. And that if you ate a full meal before you had a dessert, you'd eat less dessert. But if you plowed into it from the beginning, you could eat half a cake and that that wasn't good for you. They understood that and they, they were honest about it. This this video, again, put out by the largest school district in the country, paid for by the Oreo people, is targeting the black community. Right. They're targeting the black community with a message that. It's 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 the white man keeping you down that tells you it's not good to be obese. This is disgusting. This is revolting. This to me is worse than what I revealed to you about the company that makes all the dialysis equipment and has all the clinics for dialysis telling diabetics to make their recipes, adding sugar to them in, in, in combination with the American Diabetes Association. I don't know. I'm going to say it's a it's a toss up between those two. But it, it, it's pretty bad. And this leads me to the next thing I want to talk about. I, I watched yet again a video on Twitter this week of people losing their minds at a fast food place, like throwing chairs and smashing shit and trying to beat the person behind the counter and pull them over. It was like Clown World, I think, that, that posted it. Um, it seems like it's a new one, not a rehashed one over and over again. And I just started thinking, and I've seen so many of them in Walmarts and in and, and bus st- uh, terminals and all these places where these people are going crazy. And a lot of time it's women. And I think one of the reasons it's it, it, women and guys do this too. Don't get me wrong. One of the reasons women are more predisposed to do this 
is if you're a dude and you act like this, you have a much higher probability that somebody's going to walk up and smack the crap out of you. Just beat your ass for behaving this way. Women tend to get away with it more. Men generally don't walk up and, and cold cock a woman. And I'm not saying that we should. I'm just saying that if you know you're going to get your ass beat, you're a lot less likely to behave in a certain way. But I started thinking about this. And I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the air before. I used to work in a, I'm going to call it a nightclub. It was really more a bar would be the right, a country western bar in Louisville, Texas. When I was young, right out of the military, I worked there as a bouncer. And this wasn't like, let me just tell you, movies like uh, Roadhouse of Patrick Swayze, it's all bullshit, nothing like that. It's all crap, right? It was nothing like that. In two years of doing that job, worked like four nights a week, I actually hit one person, and I really put him into a wall because he took a swing at me. Uh, and it was kind of just a reflex action, and then he went down, and it was like, oh, what did I do? He ended up being okay. Uh, there's a couple of people that maybe you threw an arm bar on or something and somebody else helped you and you pushed them out the door. But we this was a redneck bar in Louisville, Texas. There was a trailer park across the street and there was another one easy walking distance down the road. Nothing against trailer parks. I'm just saying that when when country boys that live in a trailer walk to a bar, they tend to drink as much as they can afford to drink. They don't worry about a ride home. And this was a redneck country bar, okay? Big-time redneck country bar. If Sometimes you guys hear me talk about my friend David. Well, we figured out during our ride back from Tennessee years ago that I actually threw him out of that bar a couple of times. Nicely, nicely. Again, I never really had to hit anybody. It wasn't hard. But this was redneck country bar early 90s, Louisville, Texas. Never once did I see a person conduct themselves in that environment the way I see people conduct themselves at Chuck E. Frickin' Cheese now or Walmart or McDonald's. And when I posted that, people said, oh, it's just more visible now. No, it's not just more visible now. It is more visible, but there's more to visualize. There's more to see. And other people just blame, well, I blame it on the TikTok generation. I don't blame, this is, this is, you're blaming the symptom for the disease when you do this. This is a moral decay of America. This is what an empire that is on the edge of complete collapse and decline looks like. At the time that we went through World War II, I'll tell you flat out, if you don't think that there was institutional racism at that point, you are wrong. We absolutely had institutionalized government-sanctioned racism at the time of World War II. But we had people from every demographic and every race that were, that guess, were drafted or whatever, but plenty of them that were willing to go fight and lay down their life to defend our principles here at home, even though, even though they were flawed, because they believed that eventually there would be something more to it. That's not everybody, but it was there. When I grew up in the 70s and 80s, there was a unifying principle of being an American where even if you were at odds with somebody in the end, there was an idealism in being an American. There was a pride in being an American. It was on its way downhill. I was a kid. I couldn't see it. I can looking back now see it, but it was there. Many of you are so young that listen to this show that you've never known that. You think you did. But I'm telling you, if your earliest memories are late 90s, 
like actually being aware and paying attention, it was already seriously down. But if you were a teenager in like 2005, 2010, you don't even know what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is as foreign to you as if I tell you you've never actually had a real Coca-Cola made with sugar instead of corn syrup, unless you went and got one from Dublin or something. That was that's Dr. Pepper. I don't remember. I think Mexico, you can still get the original Coke made with sugar. But if you've never tasted it, you can't know the difference. And if you've never experienced the America I'm talking about, you cannot know the difference. You cannot know the difference. You can't understand the difference. And it's very so it's what we're having happen right now is a lot like the metaphor, the sci fi mental, you know, simulation of going into a black hole over the event horizon. You've crossed the event horizon of the black hole. You're going to go in. You're going to be stretched out like a thread. You're going to have a very miserable death, right? And nothing can save you. It's already begun, and you expect it to be like, and gone. But it happens so slow that you don't know it's happening until it's too late. But a person who maybe is a little further down the event horizon from you can see what's happening and tell you, but it's too late for you to do anything about it. In a way, that's the older generation. That's what we can tell you, that we've seen where we, we have come from. With We have a better rearview mirror. We're not better than you. It's not your fault. It's not our fault. It's not our grandparents' fault. We didn't stop blaming all these generations and blame the assholes that caused this. The elites that run the world have caused this. I can come to no conclusion other than the people in power want to destroy Western, not just America, Western culture. That they have decided that it is time to shift the, the, the power center of the world. Because I don't have another explanation. Because all of these things, I'm not saying the idiot <clears throat> who flips out because they're out of special sauce at McDonald's and starts hurling shit around is not responsible for that individual action. What I'm saying is the larger actions of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of idiots like that in various ways is part of the orchestrated plan to bring our country to its knees. And the enemy is not China. The enemy is not Russia. The enemy is ourselves because we're letting it happen. And the enemy is the power elite in the world. And right now, you think that you have this big conflict with Russia over Ukraine. Let me tell you something. Joe Biden went to Kiev on President's Day instead of Ohio where he belonged on President's Day. Okay? But do you know what our State Department did? They gave the Russians a head up. Hey, hey, Brandon's going to be in Kiev. Just so you guys don't accidentally drop a bomb on him. And Russia's like, okay, we didn't plan to do that anyway, so okay, no problem. Now, if what you're being told is real on the TV, that doesn't happen. Biden doesn't go to Kiev. Secret Service never clears that trip. And let me tell you something. You people that think like, well, when the president says something, I want to go here or I want this or I want that. Then in the end, Secret Service can say whatever they want. But then they say, "Okay, Mr. President, and they do whatever he says. You watch too much TV. You watch too much TV. Go find Bush, whatever he's doing, screwing up Bush the Younger, and ask him about that on 9-11. 
And what the Secret Service told him when he said, I am going, I'm the President of the United States, I'm the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces, and you are taking me right back to D.C. right now. They told him to go screw. They said, no, we're not. They told the President of the United States, no, when he said, I want to go here. They said, we will not allow you to do that, sir. So if you think that Brandon has enough gumption to stand up and go to Kiev if there is any danger, then him and Zelensky go walking out and air raid sirens go off so they can be brave in the face of air raids. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? You, you talk to anybody that's ever done work for Secret Service and ask them how realistic that is. This is all it's not because I'm seeing now like the war is fake. The war's not fake. But everything being done around it is fake. It's being orchestrated to lead to more division in your society. This is the end of empire. This is what the end of empire looks like. My most popular thing that I put out on social media in the past two months was a tweet I did late last week. Got a bunch of retweet tweets, tons of views, tons of likes, and it was the get tweet. This is what I said. Get out of the cities, your kids out of government schools, your Bitcoin off the exchange, your diet off processed foods and high carbs, your mind on improving your life in shape. Get in touch with the reality that no one can fix things for you except you. Note, this tweet is clearly white supremacy, anti-woke, and all the phobics, etc. The author does not give a flying fuck that you're tri- tri- triggered by it. Move along, snowflakes. That was the most popular thing that I said on social media anyway in like the last two months. Because people know it's true. Even if you don't like it. You know what I'm getting now? Capitulation emails. I didn't want to lose faith in my government. Not 100%. But I have. This is also what the end of empire looks like. And this is why I'm attacked for what I say at times. Because people know it in their heart. And they're like, you shouldn't be encouraging people to lose faith in their government because once they do, they stop obeying their government and bad things happen. That's true. That's true. But the first thing's true, too. There is no way we can have faith in our government right now. There's no way we can have faith in the scientific community, the intelligence community. Yeah, I call it the intelligence community. The community. It's the intelligence community. Like they get together and play canasta or something. They're not freaking intelligence community. There's 18 agencies who spend most of their time worried about the American public itself instead of protecting us from the supposed outside threats. They consider people like me to be the biggest threat to America today, which is an absolute effing joke. It's a joke, and they know it, but they don't care. Now, the, the operatives within it, the lower levels, they have been brainwashed and trained to believe this. When you look at these people on TikTok or Twitter or whatever, these absolute lunatics that are like, I'm a pansexual, tri, you know, whatever, boy thing. What Like, this is mental illness. And me saying that is not anti-gay. It's not anti-trans. The, the, it's one thing, a, a grown-ass adult says, I'm more comfortable living as a woman. Good luck for you, dude. Good luck. Right? I wish, I wish no, no ill will. I wish no hate in your direction. I wish you only the best. Good luck. When you start having people come up with this crap, like there's 82 genders, when we're never going to, like every letter of the alphabet is going to end up in this LBG2 like thing. And I'm one today and I'm the next one tomorrow. And you can't define a woman. Like this is mental illness. 
Okay? This is mental illness. This is delusions. There are people, for instance, that feel like they shouldn't have their legs and they want their legs chopped off. And up until now, at least, doctors are like, nah, dude, that's a bad thing. I'm not going to amputate perfectly good legs. And, and, and you need mental help. Well, when somebody says, I am three genders at the same time, but predominantly male, so I'm this thing I made up, and somebody else says, well, I'm the same thing, except I'm minorly male, so they make up another word for it. And then people around them are like, oh, so brave. This is mental illness, and it's a mental illness that's actually doing something that I've never seen a mental illness truly do in my lifetime, but I know examples of it from the past, and that's it's a mental illness that's spreading. It's kind of what happened with COVID, but it's way worse. There's this, this need now that we have to pay homage to these people. It's saying, you know what, you can live however you want, and I won't interfere with your life and don't interfere with my life. That's not good enough. You have to validate them. There's a movement now where they want, they're saying that if you're a man and you would refuse to have sex with a transsexual woman, whatever that means to them, that you're transphobic. No, that means I'm not gay. By the way, I'm married, so I wouldn't have sex with any woman. Like, they want you to pay this tribute. Oh, yeah, she's hot or whatever. She's not she, and she's not hot. She's a dude in a dress. And again, I issue you no ill will whatsoever. But being drugged into it and watching the way people are behaving, and you think this is new. It was different debauchery, but it's the same shit that happened at the end of every empire. This is what happens every empire moves to a position of decadence where the poorest people live better than wealthy people did a couple hundred years prior to them. Poor people in the United States live a lot better than a middle-income person in 1775 in, in, in America. Plain and simple. They do. right? If you have a cell phone, a PlayStation, and, and climate control – and you know you're going to eat every day, you live better than a middle-class person in the, in the mid-1700s. Period. You do. And you get to a certain point where there's a certain level that's expected to be maintained, and there's always injustices in society like we talked about today. There was a lot of injustice in this country, even when I was a kid in the 70s. You know, I grew up with, like, there was still busing, and there was still open use of very derogatory terms of people because of the race. And people were very ill in their treatment of gays, right? We had that even when I was a kid. I'm not that old. But so many of those battles have been fought and won. And what happens is you get a society of entitled idiots that fancy themselves educated, that know the history somewhat, and all, all this fight against injustice, and they run out of things to be offended by. They run out of quests. So they start inventing them, and then they start fantasizing, and then they start, when there's not an oppression, they invent one. Like a national day of hate. That's a symptom of a dying empire. The people on the left in our government are so concerned with maintaining power that they will create a fictitious day to claim victory over it instead of actually fixing our problems. Does this surprise you? It doesn't surprise me. As a student of history, it doesn't surprise me at all. 
The bad thing about being a student of history is you're so good at telling the future and the future is often depressing. And so I mean it when I say get out of the cities now. I know I've said it before. I'm saying it again today. Get out. I don't mean you have to run off to the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains or the Bitterroots of Montana or anything like that. I don't mean you have to get a million miles out. I mean, you don't want to be in the mainstream centers when this thing, it's already unraveling. We already went over the event horizon. When the average person accepts that it's happening, when it, the average person accepts that it's happening, you don't want to be able to look out your window, spit, and hit your neighbor's house. Unless you know every single person on the street and you know that they're level-headed and they're on the same side as you are, and that ain't likely today. You can look at where empires have crumbled in the past, and I can tell you that's where you didn't – the cities are where you didn't want to be. When, when the Soviet Union fell apart, you didn't want to be in Moscow. As well as it went, that's not where you wanted to be. I have some friends who left Russia, well, Soviet Union, right, but Russia proper, when that happened because they worked for the government, and as soon as it fell apart, they were immediately not safe. One was a former member of the KGB. He's now in um, the Middle East training the royal family for uh, the country escapes me, uh, UAE. United Arab Emirates. He trains their royal security now to this day. But he had to leave because he said, I wasn't the bad guy everybody thought I was, but I either had two choices, join the mob, the Russian mob, or get out. But you don't, the people in the countryside of these countries, the people outside of the suburbs of these countries, they might have done with some supply shortages and stuff, but mostly they didn't really care. You already know where this is going to be bad because you already saw it. When you looked at what happened with the BLM riots, there, it's not going to be limited like that, but it'll be more. But those places, they're going to be the same. And they're not going to do anything to stop it. We're re reaching a point where the government can do something to you, but nothing to help you. That is the very essence of tyranny. I, I, was, I read an article today about Department of Energy issued a statement that they find the lab leak theory to be the most probable, even though they said it was with low confidence. Okay, that's interesting. You know, this week's episode of No Shit Sherlock, right? Um, but what was interesting is, why is the Department of Energy even asked to issue a statement on this? Why are they considered, why is the Department of Energy considered a member of the intelligence community? And in this, it said that, one of the reasons that they were consulted about this is that they oversee American biolabs. Why? Why is Department of Why is our Department of Energy overseeing our biological research? I'm not talking about Ukraine here or nothing. I'm talking about like we have biolog advanced biological research facilities in the United States, and DOE is part of their oversight. Then they mentioned the FBI and their earlier report where they said with moderate confidence that they think this is the case. And they mentioned that the, the FBI employs immunologists and microbiologists. The microbiology I could see may be fitting into some forensic analysis. Why the hell is the FBI 
employing immunologists. Like, they have enough on staff to oversee this investigation. What? Well, you know, they're the FBI. They have to protect us. Do we not have other departments and agencies that are specifically set up to do this very thing? This is an example of these agencies have gotten so big. These agencies that are measured by the billions of dollars, 50 billion and up. They have so much waste and so much flow and so much redundancy. Most of what's done at the federal level right now through these departments, the states already have a mechanism for it. It's another redundancy. It's just more and more bloat. We are a bloated, stinking, rotting carcass of an empire that's already dead and is not in touch with the fact that we're already dead as an empire. And this is... This is really awful to say. I don't like saying this. I don't like the fact that I 100% believe what I'm telling you is accurate. I don't like it. I don't want to think this way. I grew up in a country where I was proud to be an American. I joined the United States Army. I left when I was 17, but I, 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 I enlisted as early as I possibly could, it was barely 17, even my dad's signature to join. No one had to convince me to do it. I thought I was serving my country the way so many people in my family did. Even after I got out of the military for years, if somebody said something bad about America to me, I was the guy who wanted to punch him in the mouth. I didn't do it, but I wanted to. You better not say something bad about my America. That's who I was. This gives me no pleasure. I'm not some guy that, you know, grew up chewing on granola and went to freaking Berkeley and just hates my country because I'm privileged. I hate hating where we are, but I can't deny it. And I think we are irredeemable until we hit bottom. As a people, not as individuals. As a people, as a majority, we have reached a point of irredeemability. And every demographic and every age group has something about them that makes them say, but I don't care about this. I care about my thing. I care about my thing. And when they pretend to be altruistic, I stand with Ukraine. No, you don't. They take mercenaries, get your ass on a plane, go to Ukraine, suit up, and go out and show me how much you stand with Ukraine. It is so easy to say, I stand with something when you sacrifice nothing for it. Nothing. Not a damn thing. And you don't think you ever will. But you keep pushing it. You keep encouraging these lunatics in charge. And you might end up having to sacrifice more than you could ever imagine. We are a bloated, stinking, dead corpse of an empire but we're like the drug addict that hasn't quite yet hit rock bottom and it will take rock bottom collective rock bottom for us to admit it and when that happens it's not the restoration of our empire it's something new it's a totally different version of america whether it's the breakup that we talked about potentially last week into regions or something, whether it's a reassertion of the rights of states over the federal government in such a way the federal government is caused to come to heel. I have my doubts about it, but it wouldn't be a bad thing. But whatever it is, 
We can't be a country with military presence of more than 100 nations anymore. We can't. We can't. And Robert says rock bottom or an overdose that leads to death. That's the alternative. That's why I'm talking about this. Not so that it will happen, so that maybe we can avoid that. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep telling the rest of the world how to live. And we shouldn't. We can't keep sacrificing our the future of our people for other nations while we ignore the decay and rot and suffering in our own. We can't keep doing this, but we will. And you say, well, Jack, how can you say we can't do something and then say we will? We can't keep doing it and not pay a consequence, but we will keep doing it until the consequences become so severe and so painful that we will have no choice. And this is why I'm saying get out. Reclaim your right as an individual, individual sovereignty. We talked about the potential of secession. Don't wait on that shit. It may never happen. The people that say, oh, it'll never happen, could be right. Never said it, never said it was inevitable. Though I think some piece of it is, but I could be wrong. But I seceded from the systems a long time ago. I've even done entire episodes on individual secession. Go to the survival podcast and Google. We'll use a search feature. Don't Google, right? I'm using Xerox like copy machine, right? Uh, go to the survival podcast. Use our search bar and search for individual secession. I think the first time I did a show on that was like 2010. There is no, there is no recourse that we really have at the national level or even the state level at this point. Those of you who are working at the state level for like a convention of the states or like with the 10th Amendment Center or something like that, God bless you and go for it. And I wish you the best. But you better also be, you better have plan, that better be plan B. You put all the effort into it you want, but plan A better be, I'm going to find a place for me and my own to be safe and secure as much as possible and to be as far away from this fray as possible because you ain't going to fix it. You're not going to fix it. I think it's the height of arrogance to believe that we can fix it. Let's me get, let me get a few comments people made here and and give you some answers, and then we'll wrap up for the day. Uh, Take the Ride 23 says, do you need a certain amount of subs to run a poll on Twitter, or am I just technologically challenged? Uh, I don't know that, but what I can do for the people in the video is show you what you do to set up a poll on Twitter. Now, I will admit I am 90% a... Um, a uh, desktop user, not a mobile user, especially when I have to type anything more than a, one sentence. But let me pull up my screen real quick for you. Share screen. Brave tab, Twitter, share. Okay, so you can see my screen right now. And when you're on Twitter, you'll see these options here when you're doing it. And this one right in the middle, it says poll, you click that. And that's where you can add up to four choices. You can set the length of your poll. And I don't know that you have to have a certain amount of subscribers. I've never heard of anything like that before, but I guess it is possible. Uh, Ecomouse says, poll idea, expanding on permi education to the masses by swapping that sort of education for a drag queen story time. People need or eat to eat in order to live long enough to decide gender later. That's an interesting idea. Some sort of, uh, you know what's actually interesting about that? I keep telling you people are like, I hate Bitcoin. It's just Big Brother. They're going to have a CBDC, and I won't touch Bitcoin. What you're saying is they're going to use a digital currency, 
And in your war against them, you're not going to use an equivalent weapon, actually a more powerful weapon back. Right, somebody comes after you with a gun, you want a better gun. Somebody comes after you with a digital currency, you want a digital currency. What Ecomouse is pointing out here, I don't know if she's intending to, but knowing Ecomouse, she probably does. They've used a very subversive tactic here. In the name of equity and understanding and acceptance, it's not that big a deal. When it all started out, like they went to a, a public library. Parents voluntarily bought their children there. And a drag queen read them a children's story, and it wasn't an LGBTQ story. That's how it started. And now it's, it, if you don't take your children on National Transsexual Day to a transsexual strip club, then you are a bigot. That, that, but we started at the first one, and that's where it ended up. Do we need to start doing that with a little bit of the same motivation of subversion? Taking things like biochar and using workshops in biochar to start to win people over to the type of lifestyle that becomes decentralized. See, this is, I don't know if you guys realize this, one of the reasons I'm so excited about biochar isn't just that it works, isn't just that it's awesome, isn't just what its potential is, but it is a perfect decentralized technology. Um, I've heard from Dozens of you guys, without any exaggeration, dozens, maybe not a hundred yet, but dozens. And I just started talking about biochar, what, four weeks ago? Yeah. And dozens of people already have said, I went out, I got some stuff together, I made biochar, I crushed it up, I'm going to be using it in my garden this year. Right. So you go from zero knowledge of a thing to implementation of a thing in a few weeks because somebody puts out the information. It's decentralized. Feedstock is everywhere. Everybody can get their hands on a, a cone kiln, make a tea lud, just use a burning barrel, what have you. You can dig a pit. Like this is something anybody can do anywhere, period. Maybe the desert in the middle of the ocean, you can't do it. Anywhere where there's carbon feedstock, you can make biochar, you can make compost, you can inoculate, and you can grow healthier, stronger soil. That's decentralization. It's actually very hard to centralize it. If you think about what centralized needs, it needs this massive integrated system of transportation that moves materials. The feedstock for biochar is lumpy and messy and irregularly shaped and these different forms of processing and different versions need different types of feedstocks. You know, if you're using sawdust, you need like a continuous auger feed thing and it's relatively slow in what it does, where if you're doing wood chips, you need something versus if you're using large uh, timber cutoffs or something like it's so like the only real efficient way to do it is to locate the production near where it's used and near where the feedstock comes from. So you end up with decentralized as a byproduct. What if we were to start figuring out, and this is an interesting question. What are the most disruptive Low-tech, anybody can do it, decentralized technologies for self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty that we have. I would submit to you, it maybe low-tech's not the right word, because running a Bitcoin node would fall into that for me, because anybody can do it. It's not that expensive. If you have electricity and an internet connection, you can run a Bitcoin node. You can also make biochar. And what else is there? And do we start to build this, like, because I, I just did the show about why Bitcoiners become preppers. Do we start building up an entire community 
based on rebuilding society through decentralization and using very subversive tactics to get right into the throat of the beast and break out our brothers and sisters who are not fully gone yet. I like that idea. I bet you didn't think it was going to go that far when you brought it up, Eka Mouse. Thank you for that. Zone 6 Eric says, are they saying all meat is fine? Well, I guess so. That propaganda video that said shove all the donuts and ho-hos and Twinkies you want down your gullet and had a woman that was so obese she looks like she ate the other woman in the video, right? There's no such thing as bad food unless it's spoiled or rotten or toxic. Eat without guilt. I guess that includes meat, too. Very astute, Eric. I didn't I didn't think of that when I watched it. Thank you. Um, Hallwell, F me. I'm a racist, Jack. If that's the case, I'm proud to be from Christopher. I'm not sure what you're talking about, dude, but, yeah, we're all racists. We're all racist. If you don't 100% do what they want, it's amazing how racism went from things that maybe at least loosely could be connected to race to absolutely like you're a racist. Doesn't matter what it is now. It doesn't matter what it is. If you oppose them, you're a racist. So when, when they said something about COVID and you said, I don't think that's what the science says, you're a racist. What? And that's when you, when you realize that we have reached the pinnacle of Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity. Everything is responded to with with the catchphrase or the insult du jour, right? The insult of the day. Like everybody that disagrees with me is a Nazi and a racist, right? Even though the person saying the thing is saying the most Nazi racist shit there could be. It the video I showed you 20 years ago. If that had been put out, the people right now that would call me a racist would have called the people who produced that video a racist, and they would have been right back then. You're targeting the community of color with nutritional information that's going to cause the increase of disease and death. That seems pretty racist to me, but what do I know? I'm clearly a white supremacist because I grow my own food. That's another thing that makes you white supremacist now. Um do you think the feds will step in with money and try to take over local police, troopers, and sheriffs when the shitstorm really gets going? Um, maybe. I don't think it's – see, I think the problem is that we, we labor under the belief that we have a hyper-competent government that actually can do all these things that, that people say they can do. Eka Mouse, I think you had a comment there that I accidentally shut off, and so I didn't comment on I'm looking for it right now. But, no, I don't think – I don't think that it's going to be like you're going to be able to activate all the local police departments and take over all the resources. And even if they try to do that, you have this is what I'm saying to get out. You can't afford to do that where I live. Not because everybody's badass, badass and jacked up with an AR on the roof. Right. I mean, it could come to that, but that's not why. It's because the population density is spread out to the point where you can't really make it work, it's not it's not going to function. If you want to take control, you take control of population centers and you play the odds. And that doesn't mean they won't cause any trouble outside of those population centers. It's just that's that's where the focus has to be. And, and you, again, you got to think about this: like our government prosecuted a war to the tune of like two trillion dollars and couldn't eat a bunch, it couldn't beat a bunch of people humping goats. And, and they're going to take over our country? 
See, this is why they've done what they've done. They can't take it over directly. They have to take it over by poisoning the minds of the populace. That's that's what they have to do. You know, that that's what they have to do. And Chris says what he was talking about when he says that makes him racist is when they were saying the food thing, saying, if I say don't eat these foods because they're bad for you, that makes me racist. Then go ahead and call me a racist. You imagine that's where we live. Let's finish with that. Right. We live in a society today where now what's being claimed is if you tell somebody overeating high sugar, high fat junk food is bad for your health, makes you a white supremacist. If you don't get I mean, if you get nothing else, that should tell you all you need to know about the decline and death of this empire. But just have faith in, in whatever it is that you particularly have faith in. That does not mean that doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. One of the greatest lies that this country has been told is that it is the end of the world if we don't control everything. Without America, it's the end of the world. It'll just all everybody will fall off the planet and float out into space or whatever other made up fantastic bullshit that they come up with. Without the United States, there'll be global thermonuclear war tomorrow or some other dumb shit. Empires rise and fall. And they have always risen and fell. And the average length of an empire is about two hundred ish years. Some lasted longer, but the average length of an empire is about 200 years. This country's been around for almost 250 years. And I would say that our days of empire were about 150 to 160 years into that. And when they say last 200 years, you have to remember that fall takes time. The world will be okay without us completely in control of everything. And I think we would be better off to be a little bit more like Switzerland ourselves. Will that ever happen? I don't know. Will we see this in my lifetime? I don't know. We're going to see part of it. But will we see its conclusion? Will we know the destination that we're headed toward? I don't know. I do know that the future belongs to the people that are able to work without them. Without them without need of them, and without laboring under a belief that it's necessary that we save their system, which is rigged against us. This is the craziest thing. We are literally the slaves in the South who fought for the Confederacy. That's who we are today, all of us. If you're fighting to fix and save that system, that system of unjust unfairness, that system with too much power, that system that meddles in the lives of too many people. You are a slave fighting on behalf of your masters. That's what you are. That's what you are. And you don't have to be. Mike, I want to say thank you so much for the $50 super chat. That's very generous of you. Thank you. With that, as we wrap up, I want to remind you guys, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. And we talked about independence and liberty and freedom and, and, and community and things like that today. So the product I have for you may not seem like it is, but it's actually perfect for that today. It's the Incuview all-in-one automatic egg incubator. These normally sell for over 200 bucks. I've had several different incubators in my life. This is the best one I've ever owned. Incredibly reliable production. 
It'll hatch about 32 chicken eggs or duck eggs in one go, a lot more quail eggs, and uh, a significantly less number of goose eggs. I think when I had mine, I was able to fit like 12 goose eggs into it. It is easy to program. Instructions are very clear. It works perfectly. It is fantastic, and it's a good deal. And I would tell you that right now, the way things are with so many people trying to get into this act of sedition that we commit by doing permaculture, regen ag, and growing our own food, there's so many people that want birds, and they're so hard to find. I would bet you that in most areas, if you're if you're where people can freely keep birds, I bet you in one season you could easily more than pay for this thing two times over because you hatch what you want for yourself and you sell the rest to others. And I will throw a little thing out there. I'm not saying this will work for everybody. You have to think about it. But when we went from chickens to ducks, we had like 70 birds, 70 chickens. And we decided we wanted, we would have a few chickens, but we really wanted to go all in in ducks. We got rid of almost all the chickens. We were selling, you know, one-year-old female birds for 25 bucks. And this is way before COVID. Things were not like they are now. It's much of a hotter market now. 25 bucks and people didn't blink. So I'm thinking you probably could sell birds that are like 10, 12 weeks old where they're past the little chick stage. You're going to start laying within a couple months. I bet you can get 20, 25 bucks a bird for those right now, which is more than you would get if you processed a meat bird and sold it as a meat bird in profit. And all you have to do is go, here's your bird. So I'm just saying there is a whole bunch of opportunity with hatching eggs right now. Uh, out there, especially if you get into certain breeds like the American breast chicken or something like that. Uh, tremendous opportunity, plus just the self-sufficiency of being able to produce your own birds. I love broodies, but it doesn't always work out. When you put eggs in an incubator, you have total control, and uh, there's just a lot that can be done with that. And if you don't want this thing, remember, you can always support us just by starting your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, I'll wrap up. This went way longer than I planned today. I think I got a few edits to do because of some technical glitches that we had in there. But anyway, uh, I will have a show tomorrow on Bitcoin and it's going to be just me. And I'm going to be answering some questions and I'm going to be talking about the fact that we are now past the middle of the cycle and everything from here is up through this next halving cycle. That doesn't mean it won't ever dip, but we are on a constant. We will never. The bottom is in. I'll put it that way. Plus, a bunch of other questions you guys have been giving me. We'll be talking to also about the decentralized nature tomorrow and how this is imperative uh, if we are going to have a type of liberty for ourselves, if not for our, our nation that we talk about here all the time and some other things. Wednesday, I think we're going to have our interview. It's going to be on like permaculture and, and small scale farming and stuff like that. Uh, the guest was if he does some internet connection uh, issues, but I think they have found an alternative place to go. Uh, and then I don't even know what the rest of the week is yet. I have not yet decided. Uh, I am going to give the expert council a week off and try to get a backlog of content from them out of giving them a week off. So Friday will be something different as well. Again, if you guys want to suggest polls for the Twitter polls, TSPC Twitter poll or TSPC poll or TSPC you jerk, doesn't matter what you put, really, as long as TSPC is in the subject line. Email Jack at the survival podcast.com and tell me what you want me to do a poll on. And if you have questions, comments, material for the show, same difference, TSPC in the subject line. And make sure you're doing bottom line up front with your emails to me. I should read one sentence and know what you're talking about. Hit the return key. Give me the details. We'd be most likely to get through our screening process. 
And hey, if you'd like to be on the air, I have the guest forums open on the site, and I really could use some more people to come on and talk about Bitcoin. I do have Oscar coming on, I think not next week, the week after from Fountain. That should be a good interview, but I need some people there. And if you have something interesting to discuss for our community, no matter what it is, submit the guest form. And if we think it's interesting, we'll get back to you. I'll catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.